Hello, hello, happy Wednesday and welcome to Wellness Wednesday Inspiration. My name is Fernanda. I'm with Dr. Linda, my amazing co-host. And we have a guest today, Dr. Felice Gersh, coming back for, I believe, to be the third or fourth time on this show. We just love having her around. And today she's going to be showing her and talking to us about her expertise in women's health and more precisely menopause. So the topic for today is how menopause affects your health and what you can do about it. So if you know anyone who can relate to this topic, if you yourself can relate to this topic, please uh, connect with us. Please uh, be active in the chat. Ask any questions for Dr. Feliz. We're going to be talking about her new book that just came out. We're going to be uh, sharing that in a little bit. And also make sure that you share and invite anybody else that can benefit from these conversation today. With that, I want to uh, welcome you, Dr. Linda, as well. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great. Um, Wednesday. <laughs> I'm just like, I mean, my days are all confused right now with the holidays and everything. And it's been a little bit crazy and happy belated birthday because you just celebrated a birthday. I'm not yeah. even going to ask you how old you are because I know you're just young. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I know you had, um, you've been really busy with a lot going on. And um, I'm just glad that we can still just stay committed and, you know, being here every yeah. single week. So, you know, thank you for that. And always just enjoy our time. And yes, we have Dr. Felice Gersh back. I just love her, love her, love her. I mean, she's a colleague, she's a friend, she's, you know, my personal doc. So highly, highly recommend her. And I know we have people from all over and the beauty of, of, of telemedicine now is that a lot of people can get, especially women can get care from a woman who understands because a lot of times women will go to a male doctor and they're just say, Oh, suck it up. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, it's just like, you're going through menopause, you're going through this, you're going through hormonal changes, suck it up, you know, take this, but they don't really take the time to um, explain so that you can understand that you're not losing your mind. So that's what I love about, you know, Dr. Felice is that, you know, she's very, um, she's passionate about what she does. She's very, a very compassionate individual. I mean, she's, her knowledge is just beyond <laughs> what I can even explain in the, in this short time that we have. But I mean, she's one of the top notch doctors in Orange County and has been nominated by her by her peers as being one of the best doctors in Orange County. And I think she's one of the top women and in, in the field when it comes to women's health that and she's the go to her name is going to pop up in that conversation. So I'm just so grateful that she's on the show here with us today. And I'm going to let her do a little bit more of inter and introducing her. I mean, she's been in practice for <clears throat> definitely over 20 years and she's got an integrative practice so that's what i really love about her because she gets the best from you know natural medicine and using pharmacology and blending them together but looking at the individual as a whole she's also an author very um you know she's a sought out speaker and i, I want her to share about one of her her new books she's like it's a best-selling author she's got this one and it's an awesome resource here so why don't we bring Dr. Felice on and just so excited to have her back. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Welcome back. When Thank three you. women get together, it's just like, you never know where the conversation is <laughs> going, right? <laughs> right. And that's what I love about having you on because you really just, 
the way you ex just explain uh, what's going on with the with the woman with a woman's body, it's not so overwhelming because it can be for some women, and they don't feel comfortable going and asking questions to their doctor because they feel a lot of times that they're they talk down to them and not to them, and that's one of the biggest complaints that I see in the practice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and I try to look on a macro scale. I mean, I say I'm not smart enough to micromanage every cell in a person's body. So I like to take it sort of like from the, the 20,000 foot view, looking down on what can we do as a whole to allow each cell to make its own decision so it can get mm -hmm. what it needs to do all the right things. And, and so it's sort of like a basic way of looking at the body. You give it what it needs and it will do what it's supposed to do. And and that's where menopause really comes into play is that hormones are really like the communication system of the body. They, it delivers information that tells the cell what to do. So if you don't have those hormones in the right amounts at the right time in the right rhythm, then the cells are like, I don't know what to do. And of course, if you throw in endocrine disruptors, then you get the wrong instruction. So it's really a challenge as we age, we get either the wrong information to the cells delivered or we get no information. And mm -hmm. so I just try to put it all together so that given the reality that we live with, you know, we can't change everything, but we can really work hard to optimize all our opportunities to have healthy longevity. Mm -hmm. Can you tell, tell us the audience what our endocrine disruptor some people don't know what oh, that is absolutely <laughs> these are the chemicals that are surrounding us that have an effect on our hormones so the effects can be many different types of effects it could be concerning the production of hormones the distribution the elimination the detoxification so it can be affecting how the receptors are interacting with the hormones so it's on any of one of many different levels that these chemicals can interfere with the normal function of our hormones with very grave effects and these types of chemicals are very great in terms of their different types and numbers. So it includes all the different types of plastics, the BPA, the BPS, the BPF, the, uh, the phthalates, and then flame retardants and uh, solvents of all kinds, heavy metals. So there's so many different chemicals that seem to interfere with the different hormones. And of course, the key hormone that's interfered with is estrogen. And we call those chemicals xenoestrogens. They're mm -hmm. chemicals that can do all kinds of different crazy things involving the way our estrogens in our body should work. And it can lead to a lot of metabolic and reproductive dysfunctions. So mm -hmm. we need to be really well aware of, of all this. So we make smart choices like don't take food out. If you do take food out, of course, sometimes we do, make sure you immediately transfer it to something stainless steel or a glass or ceramic so that it's not sitting in the, the, you know, the food takeout containers. Try mm -hmm. not to drink hot food from plastic you know, types of things and, and try to use glass, stainless steel, ceramic, and such as much as we can for storing food and look at the kinds of cookware that you use, the cleaning solutions and so on. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a big job to try to reduce, we can never eliminate, but reduce mm -hmm. the exposure to these ubiquitous endocrine disruptors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Phyllis, your book is specifically on menopause and 50 things you need to know. And I don't think that we have enough time for 50. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I would like to maybe uh, for you to maybe start by explaining a little bit more about menopause. I feel like a lot of people uh, think of menopause as simply when they don't get their menses anymore, their period. Right. Right? So I, I'm, well, I'm at menopause because I'm not bleeding any, you know, anymore and that's it. I'm menopausal. But I think there is way more to it than just not getting their period or our period um, every month to menopause. Can you explain a little bit more about what it means and what's happening in our bodies as we approach menopause and as we go through menopause? Well, absolutely. The The first thing to understand is the word menopause was chosen because it does talk about like an end point. So by definition, the word menopause comes into play if you have 12 consecutive months without a spontaneous period. Now that's a very arbitrary made up definition and it's not really telling the story. So I wish I could change the name, but nothing is ever gonna change with the name. So we have to try to work on understanding what it really means. So that's what we're gonna talk about. It's really about ovarian aging. And one of the things that happens as the ovaries age is that they're going to produce hormones in a, a different and lesser amount. You're not going to ovulate. You're not going to get that spike of estradiol. And then if you don't ovulate, you're not going to make progesterone. So the first thing that is going to go is reduced amounts of estrogen in the form of estradiol. That's the estrogen the ovaries makes. And then you're going to stop making progesterone if you stop ovulating. And if you don't make progesterone, you're not going to have a period. So if you don't ovulate for 12 consecutive months, you're not going to have any periods. And then that will be officially you're labeled as menopause. But that is part of the process. So we have to rethink menopause instead of as like you're crossing a finish line and you've arrived. It's a journey. OK, and there's mm -hmm. we never know the exact moment when every egg is gone because it's going to happen after you actually stop having periods because the eggs can just sort of be there. They're making some estrogen, but they're not ovulating. So the bottom line is think of it as sort of a parallel to declining fertility. And every woman knows that when she gets over 35 and certainly into her 40s, her fertility is declining. And that's reflecting a decline in egg number, egg quality, ovulation, and, and so on, and the ability to make viable embryos. So it's all in tandem together. And so we should think of it as a process. And it's not like a process that comes without consequences. Mm -hmm. I wish it could just be, well, everything's exactly the same, except now you don't have periods. But it isn't the same because those hormones that we're no longer producing in the right amount, and then not at all, then we or eventually our ovaries will completely stop making any estrogen or, and any progesterone completely. And when that happens, it has, and, the, and during the process, there are huge reproductions throughout the body because these hormones are not just about fertility. And that's such an important takeaway. They're mm. about sustaining every body function for the purpose of having successful fertility and reproduction. So the body is one coordinated whole. And you would never expect that you know, everything is disconnected. We know that in integrative, holistic types of mm -hmm. medicine approach, that it's one body and all the organ systems work in a coordinated fashion. And if you look at reproduction as really a prime purpose of, of life in general, then you're going to have all the systems of the body, the, the GI tract, 
the neurological mm. systems, the musculoskeletal systems, the cardiovascular systems, all interconnected to support successful reproduction. And those hormones, estrogen and progesterone, and I put estrogen is sort of at the peak, sort of like, you know, the, the, the prime, like if you're looking at, you know, like Batman and Robin. So it's like the, the Batman and then progesterone is like the Robin, but they need each other. They go together. And when you lose that, those vital hormones, they're not just about reproduction. They're about every organ system. And that's really what I wanted to drive home, that the repercussions of losing these vital hormones are mm. system-wide, organ-wide. And that's why we need to really understand menopause, not to stop it. We can't stop it. It's like totally inevitable for every mm. female. There is no escape from going through menopause. If you eat a supremely healthy diet, with lots of polyphenols and antioxidants and fiber and so on, and you have good genes that you're lucky to be born with, you may <laughs> delay you may delay menopause by a couple of years, but that's it. It's coming for you mm. and we need to be ready for it. So that's why we need to understand the process. That's why in my book, I talk about the three stages of menopause. So we stop thinking of it as you are one day not in menopause and the next day you are. It's not that at all. It's a process and it's really something that every woman needs to understand and prepare for. You know, it's like everything. We always talk in California here where I live, earthquake preparedness. Now yeah. it should be everywhere that you live. It's preparedness for something, right? So yes. we females have to have menopause preparedness and, mm. and understand what's coming the significance, and then really, hopefully, have pragmatic and really effective ways to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I love how you explain that. I think maybe you should write a book on um, and kind of connect it with the superheroes of menopause. <laughs> you were saying Batman and Robin. I'm like, I like that analogy. You know, Batman's like the star, like you know, like estradiol, but you know, Robin is progesterone. <laughs> you still need them, and it's like, okay, then who's cortisol and who's testosterone? <laughs> Have all the superhero stories. That's in, right. In that, way. <laughs> that would be a cool, a cool way to write oh, it. I love it. Oh, that's you know, a great so. idea. <laughs> you said you put women together. You never know where it's going. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. One of the one question that really, um, like you were saying, there's women usually in their like 30s, 40s are really, they're almost like perimenopausal because they're mm -hmm. not at menopause and fertility, um, you know, it, it decreases as well. And there's a lot of women that seem to have more of an issue when they're in perimenopause and they're mm -hmm. still having cycles just now, their estrogen and progesterone levels are really taking a, a big dip. I mean, I see that a lot and it's, mm -hmm. and it's just like, it feels like they're going crazy, like their body's breaking down. Can you hit it, a little yeah. bit upon that? Like, you know, how do you, how do you kind of approach that to, because they think I'm in perimenopause now and that could last a long, long time and it could last for some women 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. And then once they get into menopause, it's just like, oh my gosh. But sometimes peri is more intense than actually being in menopause. It, it is for many women because what's happening is during this, like we'll say prelude to menopause, which is like the transition and perimenopause. Mm -hmm. And because menopause by definition 
um, in the United States occurs and is considered normal between 45 and 55. So if you're later than 55, then that would be a very late menopause. And if you're before, then it would be considered an early menopause. And there's some negatives in having an early menopause in particular. So that's a big range right there. So there are mm -hmm. some women, if you figure that the, the sort of the, the scaling down, instead of calling it scaling up for going mm -hmm. into menopause, for some women who hit menopause at 45, that means you're right. At 35, they're already noticing things are changing. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a very big deal. And other women, they may be a decade later. So we need to understand that as the ovaries are aging, so we call it like ovarian senescence, they become more unpredictable in their ovulation and the mm -hmm. estrogen and progesterone levels that are produced. So the brain is the great sensor in the body for sensing, well, what is happening? You know, it senses mm -hmm. nutrients, it senses light and dark, and it senses hormones. So if you're not making enough estrogen, for example, according to the brain's perception of it, it puts out a signal through the hypothalamus to the pituitary gland, which then makes hormones called gonadotropins, which are then going to travel in the bloodstream to the ovary, and they trigger the ovary to make more hormones and to ovulate. So, mm -hmm. and then the precursor to estradiol in the ovary is, is testosterone. So the way that you make estrogen from the ovary is you first, it's like a little assembly line going down the line. Mm -hmm. First you make testosterone and then it, the testosterone moves to a different part of the ovary and there it's converted into estradiol. Mm -hmm. So the brain, when you don't have enough estradiol, that's the estrogen from the ovary, it puts out more signals and the pituitary puts out its signals and you have a rise in LH, luteinizing hormone, and FSH, follicle stimulating hormone. And mm -hmm. so initially, when you make more LH, you're going to make more testosterone. So for some women, they say like they could be in their late 30s or early 40s. And they say, what is this? Am I a teenager again? What's happening mm -hmm. to me? Like they're suddenly getting some facial hair. They're getting mm -hmm. acne and they don't feel right. They're getting some gut issues. They're having some emotional lability. Their things are changing. And it's because suddenly their testosterone can actually go up you know, suddenly, because they're not actually converting it as well to the estrogen at that point. And also their brain is saying, well, we want more. And that means more precursor. And then mm. sometimes in the beginning, the, the first decade preceding menopause, their ovaries are not dead, they're not done, they're just like failing, we'll say, but they still mm -hmm. have some capabilities. And if they're stimulated hard enough by the the luteinizing hormone, the follicle stimulating hormone, they will actually sometimes have a surge of estrogen production. So suddenly you get this gigantic surge. So it goes too low. And then you get, whoa, this like, like a blast of estrogen comes out. And mm. that can give migraines. So often it's what triggers migraines is a fluctuating hormone levels which of course, fortunately, that's if you can look at the bright side, you have to always look at the bright side. After menopause, there's no fluctuation because it's like <laughs> zero. But you know, during the perimenopause, it's like a roller coaster. You can have too little, then you have too much, then you have too little. Mm -hmm. And 
what that can create all kinds of breast tenderness and mood swings and sleep problems, hot flashes mm. and night sweats, but they can come and go. So they think, what am I crazy? And then that also can give you cognitive dysfunction. So they now have published mm. studies showing that the majority of women will have like a brain fog problem because their hormone levels in their brains are fluctuating so much. And then they get, like I mentioned, like people who are prone to migraines, sometimes people who never even had migraines before will, will be triggered to have migraines. And breast tenderness and breast cysts can really just go through the roof for some women. And then because hormones are related to everything, they may then have dysfunction with their gut because the hormones actually have a lot to do with the composition of the gut microbiome. So they'll have shifting mm. gut microbial populations and so we have many things that are fluctuating. These fluctuations can be very significant. And then we have women with declining fertility because they're getting older, but mm -hmm. because they still have some viable eggs, they're not, they're not done. They're just in the process of ending, but they're still there mm -hmm. working. They have the highest rate of developing twins because they can they, they can have such a surge of these hormones coming from the pituitary trying to get the ovaries to make more estrogen as a response to low estrogen because it's like this swinging up and down that they can then ovulate two eggs at once and then suddenly they didn't have a period for three months suddenly they ovulate with two eggs coming out and wow. the next thing you know they thought oh i can't get pregnant and the next thing you know they're pregnant with twins oh so it's like, so these are <laughs> Very interesting, like say, we'll say very interesting years when um, fertility is declining, but it's not gone and they can get mm. twins and they have crazy fluctuations of hormones, which can make them seem literally like they're going in and out of menopause because their wow. hormones are too low, then it's too high, then it's too low. And so it is definitely a challenge. And there's so many symptoms that can be quite um, surprising for women that they're experiencing during those years. So the first thing is to know what to expect, and then you won't be shocked. And then the next thing is to you know, have a few tools so that you can deal with it. You share with us uh, so many different uh, possible changes that we can experience from mood changes all the way up to like skin changes, hair changes, mm -hmm. migraines, all kinds of things. So it really can affect and, and, and women can experience perimenopause through so many different changes. So it's very important to always stay connected and see, you know, what's changing and is yeah. it different than, than it was before, right? Because mm -hmm. sometimes, like Dr. Linda mentioned, sometimes perimenopause can be even more intense than menopause, but sometimes it can also be subtle. And so it's very important to stay connected and see what right. changes experiencing with our bodies and we do have a question with uh from an audience member but i do want to ask you dr Feliz, just going back to the perimenopause for a second when do women normally experience perimenopause at what age so it would vary between 35 and up to 50 so in general, it could be, that's a big range of years. Yeah. And some women will have <clears throat> symptoms for 10 years. Some will be four years. I mean, so it's very, very variable. And you're so right. I'm glad that you mentioned it. In the earlier 
points, you know, like in the perimenopause, when the symptoms are so blatant, I mean, women are going to notice them and they notice things that are so uh, disturbing. Like they look at them and themselves in the mirror and they say, excuse my, but what's happening to my face? You know, like <laughs> they find like their, their lips are thinning and they're seeing, you know, the nasal labial folds and, and wrinkles around their eyes that they didn't have before. And it's like, you know, like they'll think like, I'm only 42. Like, why do, mm. do I look so And I look at a picture of myself when I was like 33 and I looked so much older to myself when I look in the mirror or they get mm. on the scale and they say, <laughs> what is happening? You know, and then they try to put on their clothes and it's like, wait a minute, my waistline is so much bigger. And like, what's this muffin top? Where did this come from? You know, so, you know, because their metabolism is changing. And these things are so distressing for so many women that, you know, that their, their skin is wrinkling, their lips are thinning, they're, and they, um, they're not sleeping as well. They have night sweats coming and going. So these are so blatantly obvious during the, the perimenopause. But there are so many things like in the later menopause, like after you've been out in menopause for 10 years, you may have things that are happening that are completely invisible, you know, unless you are getting proper health care. Like you may develop high blood pressure, like by age 65, you know, about 65, 70% of women have high blood pressure. By age 75, 85% yeah. of women have high blood pressure. Women have more strokes, more ruptured mm -hmm. aneurysms than men. They die from cardiovascular disease more than, than any other cause. And they're losing bone that is silently lost. And then hip fractures are so prevalent, spinal fractures. And over 50% of women will end up with what can be a life-changing, even sometimes life-ending fracture. And these are yeah. things like with their cardiovascular system, even cognitive changes that are not so obvious, like you know, when they have brain fog, things that can lead and increase the risk of Alzheimer's. Like, for example, between two and three times the incidence of Alzheimer's in women compared to men. And we don't talk mm -hmm. about that. And, you know, 80% of osteoporotic fractures are in women. The majority of joint replacements are in women. And mm -hmm. breast cancer, which of course is on every woman's mind, is significantly higher after menopause than before mm -hmm. menopause. So, but these things happen silently. So, you know, we have these different stages of menopause and we need to recognize both the obvious symptoms and also be aware of the things that are happening silently that can have tremendous health consequences. So it's a complex, it's a complex transition through all these different phases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that you've written about this too, because what, what's interesting, if we look at this from the bigger scale, there's really only a short time of fertility. And most mm -hmm. of the other time, it's where we're not, we're not, you know, we're mm -hmm. not in bleed. <laughs> There's only a short That's time, right. right? When you're having your menses and the majority time of your life, you're not, you're in, in a menopausal That's right. state. So, and it's not really, it's not really addressed. I think it's kind of overlooked and kind of brushed aside like, ah, you're of no use to us anymore. So we're not going to focus on I you. Know. And it's just really sad because, but there's a lot of women that do thrive, can still thrive in their life. And yes, and what you were talking about, like, oh my gosh, cardiovascular, you know, propensity for cardiovascular issues, you know, for brain, um, brain health declines, um, you know, bone health declines. But there are, 
there there are active um, strategies that women can um, can actually do. And I know Fernando, you were going to address one of the questions. We got a couple yes. questions from okay. here. If you want to uh, yes, ask Dr. Gersh. We have a couple of questions. So here's the first one, if you can see it up in the screen. What type of estrogen do you use for menopausal women? Do you give also progesterone? What dosage do you think it's safe to start the replacement? And how do you monitor the patient? Well, that is basically the foundation for every kind of hormone therapy, and which is, of course, so key because it's not just giving hormones it's giving the right type and in the right mm -hmm. dose and every in the right way and everything so we know now without any doubt that the only way to safely give estrogen is really in the form of estradiol which is the same form that the ovaries make estrogen mm -hmm. and to give it through the skin so we call that transdermal if you take it as a pill which is nice and convenient. Unfortunately, when you take it as a pill, it gets digested and it's converted to a different form. And it goes into the bloodstream as predominantly estrone. Even if you swallow estradiol, when it gets into your blood, it's estrone. And estradiol binds appropriately to all the different estrogen receptors, which creates that metabolic calmness and and equilibrium within the body that we call homeostasis. But if you have only one type of estrogen, estrone, that binds predominantly to only one type of estrogen receptor, which creates a very imbalanced situation. And it increases significantly the risk, for example, of having blood clots, which is, of course, very bad. We do not want to have our blood clotting in our blood vessels. So we don't want to take oral estrogen. And progesterone is not optional, even for women who have a hysterectomy. That's because, unfortunately, the conventional GYN world doesn't see the total body of the woman and all the different re mm. receptors that exist for progesterone throughout the body. For example, just in the brain, progesterone is neuroprotective. So we, mm -hmm. and it balances out with the immune system. So it, it has, and it works in the gut. It basically, if you think of the Chinese yin yang kind of a thing, which is like this wonderful balance, push pull and so on, the progesterone and the estrogen, they work together just, you know, in a beautiful team effect. So you can't have one without the other and then have optimal function of the body. So we have to give progesterone even though by giving progesterone the way that it's optimally to be given, which is to mimic a menstrual cycle. Now, progesterone in a functioning reproductive aged woman is not produced by the ovaries all month long. It's produced only for the two weeks following ovulation. And that actually creates a different dynamic in the body because it actually works as sort of a counterpoint to the estrogen, like sort of like the brakes. So progesterone actually down regulates or makes it less functional, the receptors for estrogen. So it's kind of like the brakes. But so if you give progesterone and estrogen at the same time, all the time, it's like you're driving a car, you don't have on the parking brake and you're pressing on the gas pedal and you're pressing on the brake pedal at the same time, trying very hard to push them both down and <clears> keep <throat> the car from moving, keep the car from moving. Because basically the reason that that idea came about that you would give progesterone and estrogen together the same dose every single day was to try to keep the uterine lining from growing 
and then shedding, creating bleeding, right? Because the idea was no woman after menopause will put up with having so-called periods. Of course, they're not real periods, but it would be real blood, you know, and mm -hmm. they don't want to have that. And they just simply won't do that. And, and that's true. There are some women, they say that's a deal breaker. But I try to explain that unfortunately, or fortunately, how you frame everything is how you frame it, right? This is how our bodies were designed. And if you think of it as that you can't really drive a car with the brakes and the, the gas on at the same time, exactly. That's like crazy. So if you try to prevent estrogen from doing its job by counteracting it with progesterone all the time, you're not just affecting the effect of estrogen in the uterine lining. It's the same thing everywhere. You're going to be countering all the beneficial effects, or at least to some degree the beneficial effects mm -hmm. of estrogen in the other parts of the body. And there's actually some published literature, of course, never enough because there's never enough studies on women that show better protection against both breast cancer and cardiovascular disease if you give the progesterone two weeks out of every month and not every okay. single day. And progesterone is classically given as a pill, but some people mm -hmm. can't tolerate it as a pill because it does get metabolized into certain byproducts or metabolites that for some people makes them feel too sleepy. And that's why you take it at night. Mm -hmm. So for some women, we do give progesterone cream, but there's also less data on that, but it can be a viable option when the progesterone pills just don't agree because there's nothing that agrees with everybody. And mm -hmm. as far as the dosing of the estrogen, it's given through the skin. So it can be given as a commercial bioidentical product, which would be like an estrogen patch or a gel. And there are a couple of different brands that make gels, or it can be made through a compounding pharmacy where it's typically placed into a cream and the dosing can be very individualized. And then the cream can be applied to different places in the body, depending on that individual woman's ability to absorb it and distribute it through her body in the best way. And that's where we, you really have to accept that what we're doing when we give hormones after menopause is totally concocted, okay? Nature never mm -hmm. expected us to actually try to prolong the, uh, the wonderful effects of these hormones because it's linked so much to reproduction. And when it's like what you started in the beginning saying like, well, you know, when you're done, you're done, you know? So, yeah. but, uh, but you know, nature may have hung us up to dry, even though I love nature, but nature is both beautiful and wise, but can be cruel. Remember, it's the same nature that gives us beautiful sunny days and tornadoes and such, you know? Yeah. So that's all the same thing from nature. And nature can't have every creature on earth be immortal. There's limited resources. So nature is thinking about sort of um, survival of the species. And once you're no longer reproducting, you know, a reproductive creature, you know, your um, sort of like essentialness on the on the planet is like less, but we still get to live, which is nice. So if we're going to keep living, we might as well live optimally, right? Why would we want to live with disability and, and such? So it's a trickery thing. I understand. Mm -hmm. And I'm totally honest, giving hormones after menopause, there's nothing natural about it, but I don't like the natural effects of menopause. I'm just like, and we, everything in medicine is designed to counter something we don't like. So mm -hmm. instead of having women have to have cataracts replaced or joints replaced or be on a multitude of pharmaceuticals for a host of problems or dealing with fractures and disability and, and dementia. Instead of 
having all of those things happen, which are natural, we want to intervene maybe in a natural but unnatural way, giving natural mm -hmm. hormones to try to be physiologic, like kind of replacing hormones in a way that the body was designed to have them. And then recognizing that every cell in your body doesn't know what age you are. So it's yeah. not like any cell says, oh, well, you're too old. I'm not going to respond to this hormone. That's not how it works. If every cell in your body is a different age anyway, some of them were just made yesterday, right? They were mm -hmm. replacing a different cell. So different cells in your body are different ages, and they're all genetically programmed in a certain way to respond if you give them the right nutrients if you give them the circadian rhythm that they need, because they all have clock genes, if you give them the right hormones, they'll, they'll still behave as if you were 25. Now, realistically, we can't quite do that. We can't give you hormones that are going to be the same like when you're 25 and have perfectly functioning ovaries, but we try our best. We do better, better than nothing, mm -hmm. better than having no hormones. So we try to give the same environment, the same creations that the cells need so that they can actually do their job optimally. And that's really the goal of giving hormones. So we want to give doses that for that woman are going to mimic a functional healthy level. And it's going to be varied depending on the woman because every woman is going to absorb hormones through her skin differently. You can give the same dose to 10 mm -hmm. women and different levels will be in her. Because the skin was not designed as a hormone delivery system. It was not designed for that. We're just so clever, we humans, that you mm -hmm. know, we came up with this idea. So, but it can change the trajectory of a woman's life in her post uh, peri and postmenopausal years by having physiologic human bioidentical hormones put into her in this way that is so brilliant and can actually help every cell to keep functioning the way it was functioning when you were younger so that mm -hmm. your body will just stay healthier and optimally functioning for so much longer. And so that that's sort of like in a nutshell, the basics of, of hormones. You know, every woman is, has to be individualized because we're not going to know the dose until we try it on her. And then we have to test levels because mm -hmm. every woman is going to absorb the hormones differently you know, um, she's going to use them differently and eliminate them from her body differently. So we have to individualize it. And so it's definitely not cookie cutter at all. And, mm -hmm. and every woman changes over time. So yeah. your, your skin is going to absorb hormones differently in the same dose. If we give it to you when you're 50 and we give it to you when you're 70, your skin is not going to be the same. So you may need a different dose when you're 70 and probably will. So it's very individualized, very personalized medicine when you're mm -hmm. dealing with menopausal medicine. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of answers the questions. There's a couple of questions, you know, um, they were asking, how do you monitor the patient, which you just covered. Also, someone had mentioned about having high estradiol, low progesterone, cortisol levels are low. Um, they had a partial hysterectomy. But once again, it really just it's bio-individuality when it comes to working with hormones. And that's why a person really has to work with a, I think a, a very knowledgeable mm -hmm. practitioner because I've had patients come in and they have, they're on, and I don't prescribe hormones, but they're on estradiol 
and I'm looking for progesterone. I'm like, uh, mm-hmm. are you not, why aren't you on progesterone? Like, well, my, I'm like, that just didn't make any sense to me. And so I, I'm glad that you, it's just Batman's here, but where's Robin? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they, they came and, to the scene and, and but only Batman's here. <laughs> and everything is going to work so much better. I mean, a lot of people yeah. don't realize that there are progesterone receptors in the skin. Your skin will look better and work better. If you have progesterone, your brain will work better. You will sleep better. So, and, and it works also um, as a diuretic. So it's they, they're very different. So like estrogen is more constipating, progesterone is more like a laxative, but you know, so that they work together and, and progesterone helps as more like a, a diuretic. So you get rid of excessive fluid buildup. So they work together to help everything in the body work properly. They work on the immune system as well. Like estrogen can activate the immune system to fight off invading pathogens like viruses and bacteria. And progesterone also is involved and is more of a calming. It sort of calms down the immune response so that you don't have an over-the-top inflammatory response. So you definitely want to always have that beautiful balance, which is why I say if, if you're willing to have a period, if you take adequate amounts of estrogen, you will build up your uterine lining. And then if you take adequate amounts of progesterone, you will shed it. And that's like, uh, think of it as a catharsis. And there's actually some studies showing in a woman who's cycling, a reproductive age woman, when she has her period, the lining cells of the uterus aren't the only things that are being sort of expelled from the body. They've actually shown that like senescence, like these old and sort of yucky cells in the breast are being destroyed. We call that programmed cell apoptosis, like programmed Mm -hmm. cell suicide. So crappy cells that you want them to kill themselves are actually triggered to kill themselves by having a menstrual cycle with a period. Mm -hmm. So think of it as sort of like the the spring and, you know, renewal after like Mm -hmm. the dark winter of the cycle and you get rid of the, the bad stuff and then you reclaim the land, you reclaim your uterine lining and you also create new cells. So it, and there's interesting data that when you have the estrogen and progesterone in the right balance, in the right amounts, you actually can trigger tumor suppressor genes that actually can suppress the development of, for example, breast cancer cells. So, I mean, these things, nature did not give us hormones and cycles to create cancer. It's, we have these amazing built-in protective mechanisms that we need to try to harness as best we can when we give hormones to a menopausal woman, you know, in full recognition that this is not what nature thought we were going to do, but then nature never thought of a lot of things that we're doing, right? I don't know about space travel. I don't know, you know, who who thought of, who thought of this like 25,000 years ago. Right. But um, so, you know, we're just the most creative, innovative species that anything could, who could imagine what we've come up with. So the fact that we can come up with ways to have, unbelievably healthy aging is like amazing. Why not take advantage of it? Right, right. It's awesome. And Dr. Felice, I, I kind of want to ask you kind of just to bring everything home. Um, and the title of the show was, what is menopause and what can you do about it? So can you give us maybe the top three things that mm-hmm. anyone listening can do to navigate perimenopause, menopause, uh, and that stage in our lives in, in a much easier way. And you've been touching about it and you've been talking about it throughout the, the show, but what would be the top three things? 
Okay. So I was thinking like, what do my patients come to me with? And they complain about and, and putting hormone therapy aside. So these are things that you can access on your own. So I would say that probably the, the biggest thing that people come up with initially would be things like poor sleep, hot flashes, night sweats. And that is occurring in about 80% of women as they are going through this transitional time. So there's some interesting studies that show that if you eat phytoestrogen foods, so that would be like whole organic soybeans, like edamame, if you get edamame, unless, though of course some people are sensitive to different foods, but assuming that you can tolerate as most people can, edamame. If you add a cup of edamame, organic soybeans, whole, you know, un, unprocessed, and you add a cup of that every day, there's studies showing that in just 12 weeks, almost 100% of women had like 90% elimination of that those symptoms mm -hmm. of night sweats and hot flashes, which disrupts sleep and self-esteem, and then everything else goes down mm -hmm. the tubes when you don't get a good night's sleep. I mean, that's like, a, I'm sure you've done plenty of talks about the importance of sleep. Mm -hmm. Well, night sweats are disruptive to sleep in huge, uh, horrible ways. So just by changing the diet in that way, you can have that amazing benefit. Another one, probably one of the key things that people come in, I've alluded to this, is weight gain. Now, the reason that women can gain weight is because estrogen runs the energy creation factories of the cell, the mitochondria. Without adequate estrogen, you literally don't have the ability to burn fat as well. I mean, mm. and that's, of course, going to affect every organ system. In addition, estrogen controls adipose tissue deposition sites. So if you don't have, you know, like when you think of a girl going through puberty, she will do nothing, just go through puberty, and suddenly she gets breasts and she gets some fat on her butt and her hips, and she gets a girly mm -hmm. figure, right? And a boy, she could have a fraternal twin who's a brother, and he doesn't look like her, you know, because <laughs> he gets his testosterone. So these hormones are destiny for how we produce and then store our fat. So women have these really interesting places that we are supposed to store healthy fat, the subcutaneous fat. Well, after menopause, you don't burn fat well, you tend towards more insulin resistance, which then mm. creates more inflammation and higher glucose levels. And that produces more fat. And our fat goes to the default places, which is visceral tissue and belly fat. So what can we do about it? So every woman should know that this is a natural but undesirable effect of going through the menopausal transition. Well, there are every lifestyle thing can help. Everything from, of course, exercise, which goes without saying, will help you to burn fat better. And now the biggest thing is time-restricted eating, mm -hmm. where we, we don't want to snack during the day. We don't want to eat past 7 p.m. at night, earlier if possible, have a 13-hour fast from dinner to breakfast, okay? So that is like really, really important. And by exercising regularly and preferably if you can in the morning they've shown that morning exercise will help with weight loss and maintaining a healthy weight better than afternoon but i'll take any time of day that people <laughs> will give me and then by trying to eat more food in the first half of the day either a big breakfast or then a big lunch and a very small dinner and not snacking and getting that 13 hour fast at night that this will have tremendous benefits 
for, um, for maintaining a healthy weight. And then probably the other areas that come up with are women who are trying to be proactive. And they're saying, okay, well, what do I do about my bones? Because bones have really gotten sort of a lot of press, right? Mm -hmm. Every other, and, and bones are really important. And bones also rely on having healthy muscle. So when people don't talk about muscle loss, which is sarcopenia, and what's not well recognized is that both bone and muscle are not just about locomotion and support, you know, so we can stand up and move, but they're actually also endocrine organs. And bone actually makes hormones that actually maintain glucose regulation and also make our brains work better. Loss of bone gives you more diabetes and dementia and mood problems. So bones are so important, but people don't even realize how important they are. But they know because so many women have relatives, including myself, who've had serious fractures and osteoporosis. So they want to know, what can I do about maintaining a healthy bone? So mm. one thing is, as we go through menopause, we do need more protein in our diet. So we, we just don't need a ton of protein when we're in our 20s and 30s unless we're bodybuilders, but otherwise we, we sometimes overeat protein. But once we go through menopause, we do need more protein, but the mm -hmm. best kind is a little bit of animal, like three ounces a day of a healthy sourced animal protein, and then a lot of plant-based proteins like beans and lentils, nuts and seeds, and whole grains like, like quinoa and millet and buckwheat, because those actually help. The other things that people don't realize is that Dairy is not the best source of calcium, not at mm. all, because dairy creates an acidic kind of a blood. And in order to alkalinize the blood and get it back to the proper pH, the, the bone calcium can actually be pulled out into the blood. So you actually can lose bone if you eat a high dairy type of a diet. And they've shown that there's been an increase in osteoporosis with the increase in dairy consumption. It's exactly mm -hmm. the opposite of what people think. And the best way to maintain healthy calcium for your bones and getting the calcium into your bones, not just into your kidneys to form kidney stones, which is what's happening by mm -hmm. the droves actually with all of the acid diets that people are consuming is to have green leafy vegetables. So there's, a, there's as much calcium in a cup of collard greens and dandelion greens and mustard greens, that kind of stuff that people aren't eating enough of, but also broccoli and, and such. But those greens that people aren't eating are so wonderful and kale. And there's tons of calcium in dairy products, but it doesn't matter if it can't get into your bones. And if you have an acid type of blood, you will not be able to get the calcium from the blood into the bones because that would make the blood even more acid because calcium is like mm. an antacid, like Tums. So you don't, you can't get rid of the calcium and put it into your bones if you have a lot of dairy. But that's totally the opposite when you have leafy greens in your diet because they will actually leave the calcium from the, the blood and it will go into your bones. So it's because you're don't, you don't want to have alkaline blood either. You want to have it just the right mm. pH. And this will help to make that happen. So every woman needs to know that she has to have more healthy proteins, a little bit of animal and a lot from plant-based sources. 
that she needs, of course, to exercise and do resistance training, because mm -hmm. that's what helps to create more muscle and bone is the resistance training. Not I'm not against aerobic exercise at all. And that's very good for a cardiovascular system. You should do all of it. But if I just focus on the bones, it's the resistance training, also high intensity, you know, interval training can be mm -hmm. great for bones. But I recommend that you do this with a professional so that you don't have injuries because that becomes very problematic as we don't know what we're doing. So please have someone who knows what they're doing to instruct you on what to do to get the best bones and the best safest exercise program for you. But, um, and, and then adding as well targeted supplements like magnesium. 80% of people are magnesium deficient mm -hmm. and you need to have adequate magnesium and then the trace minerals. So the easiest way mm -hmm. is to take a mineral supplement, but magnesium you can also get with food. Some of my favorites are walnuts and pumpkin seeds. And when you're taking a vitamin D supplement, which virtually everybody needs and is essential for bone, of course, during the summer, we wanna get some healthy sun exposure on our skin and mm -hmm. say we save up our vitamin D for the winter months that way without getting a burn. But um, we also need to usually take a vitamin D supplement. We want to get our levels up to a, like a 50, a 60, not like a 30. That is too mm -hmm. low. So we need to also include, especially if you're over 50, a vitamin K2. Vitamin K2 mm -hmm. is, is a vitamin made by the gut microbes. It's so amazing. Vitamin K1 comes from vegetables. It's all important. But the vitamin K2 is especially important for bones. It's also important for other things like the cardiovascular health. But many of us don't have the healthiest gut microbiome, especially after menopause, because hormones will sustain. And then when you have the lack of hormones, you will have an altered and a negative status of your gut microbiome. So you may not make enough vitamin K2. So all of these things are going to come into play. And then the other is to do everything to have an anti-inflammatory lifestyle because mm -hmm. osteoporosis is really a pro-inflammatory state where you have inflamm inflammatory processes that are triggering the sort of gobbling up of the bone by the cells that gobble it up called the osteoclasts, which are a specialized immune cell. So we want to start to do an anti-inflammatory lifestyle by getting adequate sleep, and then having mind-body medicine, you know, controlling stress and all that cortisol, mm -hmm. which is going to high cortisol from stress is going to promote more bone loss. Mm -hmm. So, and the good thing is all this stuff that I just told you about having bone health is going to translate into metabolic health. So that is like, you also, everything is going to help your brain, your cardiovascular system. So it's not just a one thing. There's not one thing that does one thing when it comes to a nutrient or exercise or stress reduction. Mm -hmm. So even if it's, I started talking about this is good for your bones, it's really good for everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love it. So I really want women to go and get this book. This is amazing. So it's broken down in different sections, like what to expect with perimenopause as we talk, what to expect with early menopause and what to expect with late menopause. And a lot of, of kind of what we talked about today, everything from falls, heart attacks, muscle loss. We talked about diabetes, you know, hair thinning, hair, palp um, hair, uh, heart palpitations. So oh, yeah. this is just... This is like the a, a best one of the resources that you can have at home, a guide. And it's almost like having Dr. Felice there with you. It's like, okay, what would she tell me about yeah. this? And she I explains know. it, what happens, the why. And, you know, I, I, 
ironically went to the wrinkles and skin texture changes and what you can do. And I mean, it's, it's beautifully written. So thank you. I know a lot of ladies are going to appreciate this. This actually can be a great gift Christmas present yeah. for some of, them, <laughs> some of the women or hey, new, new years, it's start new years, um, how to start the new year without being crabby and grumpy. There we go. <laughs> so so uh, it's menopause, 50 things you, you need to know to by know. Dr. Police Gerge. I am mm -hmm. actually going to put the link also in the chat where people can okay. go and find the book. And Dr. Phillies, where can people find you? How can people work with you? I know that Carlina mentioned before mm -hmm. that I believe you're doing remote um, visits as well. So can you tell us a little bit more uh, for anyone who's interested? Sure. Well, I'm still a very old-fashioned doctor. I work one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one with my patients. And I'm talking you right now. I started telling you at the beginning that I'm in an exam room because I don't actually have a studio, but I have uh, many exam rooms. So I see patients in my office, but also remotely through telemedicine. I can I can care for many things. I, I often will have to, depending on the state you live in, you may have to see me once a year, but I was saying like, it's a lovely place to come visit, but I can always start off with telemedicine and see if this is a right fit for you. And if you're in my local area, Southern California, I'm in Orange County, of course, then I would love for you to come and see me directly. And uh, I care for women of all ages and virtually any female issue is in my, um, arena of, of conditions I will address. And you're pretty active on Instagram too, with a lot of um, Instagram lives and information. So women need to follow you there as well. And your website one more time, doctor. So it's integrative mgi.com. So my group is integrative medical group of Irvine and the website is integrative mgi.com. And I would love for people to follow me on Instagram because most weeks I do put out a little program and I would love to feel like I'm, I'm making a difference because really at this point of my career, my main mission is making a difference for as many women as I can. Absolutely. And what's your Instagram handle? It's dr. period. And you have to put that little period in there. Dr. period um, Felice Gersh. And Dr. Gersh, what's the best place also to find your book? Right now it's on Amazon. We're having, there's um, apparently a support chain problems in getting it published through different other sites. So it's right now solely on Amazon, but readily available there. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Felice. It's been such an amazing time getting to yes. learn from you once again. I took notes. I learned so much. <laughs> I feel so confident right now. <laughs> well, we want every woman to accept her beautiful femininity and not be afraid of menopause. No, mm -hmm. it's either here or it's coming. But to be, like we said from the very beginning, preparedness is everything, knowing that it's coming and that you have the tools to navigate all of the little twists and turns that you're going to be facing so that you can have a long, wonderful, healthy life. That's the, that's the goal. Yes, certainly. certainly. And also, Giovanna had a couple of questions which were already addressed. I just want to let uh, Giovanna know if you go back and you look at the recording, 
Dr. Feliz gave all kinds of information throughout an hour. She literally uh, is a fountain of information and, and she shares so much with us. And so, in, you know, thanks for head flashes. What can you do about perimenopause, menopause, everything that you have a question about was already covered and you are going to get so much value from listening to the replay and, and getting the answers to your questions. So I just yeah. want to address that. Um, and Dr. Felice, thank you so much. She's been yes. having you with us again. Yes, my pleasure. Yeah. Till next time. Next time. All right. We'll see you all. Thank you. Happy holidays to everybody. Yes. We will see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. -bye.